Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. Thank you. It is a privilege to be here to get to preach God's Word for you this morning. I I uh, wish I could be here with you in person, um, but these are strange times indeed. Uh, it is also strange being a sports fan right now because there's no sports and it has made me sad. Uh, I, I'm a, I'll tell you, I'm a Cubs fan, baseball, uh, Florida State fan, so that's probably the source of division, I'm guessing. Uh, but go Knowles, I can't help it. Uh, but. Anyway, these are strange times. I love what Jen said earlier about uh, how we live in a broken world. And uh, that has become so much more obvious uh, over the past four, five months. Uh, and it may cause many of us to wonder, is, is God still there? Is God still at work? Is he doing anything or, or has he sort of ignored us? Uh, it doesn't seem like things are getting any better. In fact, it seems like things are getting worse. How can things be getting worse and God still be active in our world? And, and so these are some questions you may be asking. Uh, and I want to go to uh, Matthew chapter 13, uh, verses 31 through 33 this morning uh, to talk through that, to see uh, what Jesus says uh, in this parable about God being at work in our world. Now, I think what we'll find is that uh, yes, he is still absolutely at work. And in fact, not only is he at work, he's building his kingdom. He is building his kingdom right now. And these very strange times may, in fact, be more evidence of his building his kingdom. So we're going to look at that. Uh, but first, I want to talk through, when we say God is building his kingdom, what does that even mean? What is the kingdom of God? And this is a little confusing for Americans because we don't like kings. I mean, you just watch watch Hamilton and look at how they treat King George III and make him look like a kind of a buffoon. And I guess he probably was, but that's how we feel about kings. We are not a fan. And uh, so when we think of the kingdom of God, we may be a little off-put by the idea of having a king. Um, but when we also when we think of, of a kingdom, we tend to think about a place like the United Kingdom. Uh, but when, when God is, is talking about his kingdom in Scripture, he, he is talking about something that will be a place eventually. Eventually, the entire world will be the kingdom of God. But, but in the meantime, when Jesus comes and he announces, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he is saying, he's talking more about um, uh, how things are going to be when he is king. He's talking about his reign, R-E-I-G-N, and, uh, and what things characterize Jesus' reign as king. Uh, and so in order to help us understand that, Jesus often taught about the kingdom of God in his little stories called parables. And today we're going to look at uh, the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. Uh, and it's going to show us how, how the kingdom of God grows, both on a personal scale and a global scale. So uh, let's go ahead and read uh, Matthew 13, verses 31 
through 33. It says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Let me pray briefly uh, and ask God's blessing upon his word. Father, thank you that uh, we have this privilege to open your word this morning, and I pray that you would be with me, that you would make me clear, and that uh, the words that I speak this morning uh, will be uh, directly from you, uh, and, and that your truth, your gospel, would be made clear this morning, and that Jesus would be honored. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So a mustard seed, I don't know uh, how familiar you might be with, with mustard trees or seeds, uh, but a mustard seed is really, it's the size of a tip of a pen. It is so small that you almost wouldn't even know it was a seed at all. It's, it's just completely overlooked. And Jesus is saying that the, the kingdom of God begins like a mustard seed. It begins in a way that may seem insignificant. It begins in ways that may seem overlooked. And this is not how our world thinks. This is not what our world values. You know, the world values outward traits like power and strength and wealth and beauty. And when we think about, from a worldly perspective, we think about a kingdom beginning, you know, we might think of a something like a, that scene in Aladdin where, you know, he's trying to win Jasmine's heart. And so the genie changes him into Prince Ali and he rides in on those elephants with his entourage. And he's just got all this fabulous display of wealth and power. And he's like, look at me, look how impressive I am. And that's how typically the world thinks of a kingdom. But the kingdom of God did not begin this way. And, and the only thing we really need to do to understand this is look at its king, okay? So Jesus, you, you know the Christmas story, right? Jesus came and chose the way of a servant. He chose the way of submission to God the Father. He chose the way of humility. He came as a baby in a manger, surrounded by farm animals and, and, and shepherds. And, and he grew up and he, he was a carpenter. And, and the, the Bible actually says that he was homeless for a time. And he surrounded himself with, with fishermen and tax collectors and, and prostitutes and, and the sick and the poor even the mentally insane. And most importantly, we see this in the fact that he died on a cross. And this to die on a cross, especially in that time, was a death that only a criminal would die. So he died a shameful criminal's death on the cross, even though he was completely innocent. He had never sinned, never did anything wrong, and yet he died on a cross. That is how the kingdom of God began. And so when we think about how all this is working, we think about you know, comparing this to a mustard seed, we have to understand that the kingdom of God would never grow. It would never do anything unless Jesus first died. It's just like, just like a mustard seed or, or any seed. It doesn't do anything 
until you plant it in the ground and then you water it and then all of a sudden new life starts to come forth we see little shoots and then for for the case of a mustard seed it grows up into a tree in fact it can grow to be 12 to 13 feet high and just and extremely wide it's like a, the best way i can describe it is it's kind of like a big bushy tree uh, and so the kingdom of god begins really truly begins when jesus dies on a cross dies taking taking my place taking your place taking my sin taking your sin upon himself uh, and giving us his perfection instead so that we can be clean so that we can have new life and that's how this begins and now he had these i, I mentioned the fishermen and the tax collectors his, his disciples who followed him around he told them that this was going to happen on numerous occasions he's like look i'm i'm going to jerusalem and i'm gonna die like you're gonna kill me and they're like no <laughs> come on let's be real jesus but the, he kept telling them. so when it happens I want to read some scripture for you from, from Luke 24. Uh, when Jesus actually dies, here's how some of the disciples uh, reacted. These are a couple of the lesser known disciples. Luke 24, verses 17 through 21. Uh, and he, that, this is actually Jesus after he's risen from the dead. He said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So that last sentence is what I really want to latch on to because it sounds like they are in despair. It sounds like they have given up hope. They placed their hope in this Jesus guy and now he's dead and they've lost hope. But why? It's because they had a different idea of what they thought it meant for Jesus to be king and what they thought it meant for the kingdom to come. You see, you got to remember at this time the Israelites they were or the Jews were under Roman oppression. And so their their big thing was we want a king to come and, and kick the Romans out so we can have we can have an a, an Israelite empire again. And so they actually sort of put that expectation on Jesus. And then when he died they're like, "Oh, it's over. You got nothing." Now listen, Jesus rises from the dead. He reveals himself to his disciples. And yet, they still have this wrong expectation a little bit. If, if you're going go to to uh, go to Acts chapter 1 real quick. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. This is Jesus has risen from the dead. He's with his disciples. They see him in his glory. And this is what they say to him. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? All right, so here's their mindset. All right, now, Jesus, now are you going to lead a, a mighty army of angels to come and, and, and just obliterate the Romans and return Israel to its place of power? Is this it? Is this the time? 
And he's like, nope, not in the way you're thinking. If you just look two verses later at Acts 1.8, it says, this is Jesus talking now, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So imagine, put yourself in the disciples' shoes. You, you mean us? <laughs> you want us to go out and do this kingdom building stuff? Like, where, where are you going to be, Jesus? And in fact, we know Jesus ascends into heaven. That's what the Apostles' Creed says. He ascended into heaven, uh, and he gave them the Holy Spirit to be with them so that they might then go out and spread the gospel, spread the good news of the kingdom to the surrounding areas. But, but that's the key. Only in the power of the Holy Spirit would they be able to do this. They could not accomplish anything on their own. You see, credit for growth in the kingdom of God is not ours. It is not ours. It is always about God and what he's doing. What, so what are, what are we doing? Well, we're vessels. We're instruments through which God works. And God, going back to the idea of the mustard seed, the, the idea of uh, insignificant, overlooked type of people, God loves to use broken vessels, broken people to accomplish his purposes. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Why did God use fishermen, tax collectors, the poor, the sick, prostitutes? Why did he use these people to establish his church? Why not emperors? Why not the wealthy? Why didn't he use people who the world overlooked? If you, if you read a little church history, you'll see um, women played a huge role in the spread of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. And women had no rights. Women were not just overlooked, but looked down upon at this time. And yet, God chose to work overwhelmingly through women serving other people. And that's how he grew his kingdom. Why would he do that? Because God wanted to use people who didn't need to make it about them. He wanted to use people who didn't need the credit. Because they knew they were broken. They knew they were overlooked. And they delighted in serving the Lord who made them whole. God delights in using people who understand their brokenness. It doesn't mean he can't use celebrities. It doesn't mean he can't use politicians or athletes or the uber-rich. He can and he does. But normally God uses people who have learned how broken they are because they don't need the credit. The world thinks, if I'm going to be an influencer, i got to have money, i got to have power, i got to have fame, i got to be in politics or something like that. But in the kingdom of God, if you want to have influence in the kingdom of God, the only thing you need to do is be open to following Jesus and to understand that you are broken, that I am broken, 
and that Jesus is the one who, who is our Savior, who is our King, who makes us whole, and who leads us on a mission to serve and to spread the word about his kingdom. So maybe if, you're, if you are a Christian already, this might mean being open to, uh, to having your schedule fit into God's schedule. You know, where you get stopped by someone on the street and it seems like they want to have a conversation with you. Maybe be open to having that awkward conversation, getting into something a little bit below the surface, a little deeper. Uh, maybe having that same kind of conversation with a neighbor or a coworker. Maybe be willing to to give of your time or your money to serve someone who who's really down on their luck. We have a lot of people down on their luck right now. A lot of people who need some mercy, some grace. But if you're not a Christian, this would start with being willing to look at your your sin. We we had a confession of sin earlier. The idea that that we've sinned and that we've offended God with our sin. This is hard. It's a hard thing to grasp, but this is where it starts, is looking at our sin and saying and seeing that Jesus can actually save us out of that, can actually redeem us from that. He doesn't want to scold us for our sin. He wants to show us his love, his grace, and his mercy. So when we understand that, we repent of our sin, we turn away from that, we turn to Jesus. This is where following him begins. This is where we begin to be included in building his kingdom. Can can we say to Jesus, here I am, I'm yours. Whatever you want of me, whatever you want me to do, whenever you want me to do it, I'm yours. This is where we start to become influencers for his glory and his kingdom. Well, that's the mustard seed side of the parable. Let's let's move on to the other part, the, the parable of the leaven. This is It's an interesting little sentence that we have here. It's just one verse. Uh, And it's extremely relevant that I talk about leaven at a brewery. Leaven is another name for yeast. And, and, you know, just as in a brewing process, leaven is what uh, ends up producing alcohol. Uh, Leaven is also what is used to make bread rise uh, in a baking process. And so that's what Jesus has in mind here when he's talking about uh, this this woman who hides leaven in flour. Um, so so what you would do is you would take a little batch of like fermented dough from you know when you baked bread maybe a couple days ago. Uh, you would take that little bit and you would add it into some new dough, and and the leaven in the old batch of dough would start to go to work. It will work its way all throughout the new uh, the new leaven or the new dough, and then eventually it would make the bread rise. And so you get, get fluffy bread instead of like the hard cracker, uh, which would be from unleavened bread. Now, Israel had been told long, long, long before this that uh, when they were doing the Passover, leaving, leaving Egypt in the Exodus, they were told to use unleavened bread. Uh, and so throughout time, as they would celebrate the Passover every year, doing uh, the rituals with unleavened bread, uh, leaven, or yeast, began to be associated with evil or sin. Uh, and so it, it almost was like uh, kind of an, an unclean thing to have around. And so quite often people would really shy away from using leaven in the baking process and only bake unleavened bread. So that's, I think, why in this parable Jesus says that somebody hid 
leaven in some dough. Like, why, why would somebody do that? Why would you hide leaven in some dough? So here's, here's what I imagine in my strange little brain. Um, imagine you've got a baker who's baking some unleavened bread. And uh, this baker's neighbor, they're in a fight, right? They don't, they don't like each other. So, so the neighbor's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a trick to get back at this person. Uh, so the baker is doing the, the baking thing, got the unleavened bread ready to go, steps out maybe to go do some business or something. And, and the neighbor is just waiting. And as soon as the baker steps out, the neighbor's like, all right, here's my chance. So the neighbor like stealthily comes in, puts a little leavened dough in the unleavened dough, and then sneaks back out kind of ninja style. And so the baker comes back, you know, continues to, to bake the, what, what he thinks is unleavened bread. But then lo and behold, the bread rises. And it's this fluffy, nice bread that I, I would probably enjoy more with the leaven. So what's the point of all this? <laughs> this is fascinating, I guess, but, but what's the point? The point is you can't see the leaven at work. You can't see any of this. It's all hidden. It works from the inside out. I don't know a lot about brewing beer, but I'm assuming that you can't see the yeast feeding on the sugar, producing alcohol when you're brewing beer. I, maybe you can, I don't know. But all you see really is the end result. You see a nice, fine craft brew, or you see, like in the case of the parable, some fluffy bread, and you just know after you see the end result, oh, there was leaven in there. So this is how the kingdom of God works in a person's life, except without the trickery. Someone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, anybody, they only ever come to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of God working in us, in our hearts first. It is an inner work. It is, it is hidden. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. Get that? I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, a soft heart. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. When God changes a person, it always begins with our hearts. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Actually, a lot of reasons for that, but I want to highlight two. One is that our hearts are the source of our brokenness. Our hearts are the source of our sins. It's not primarily our minds. It is primarily our hearts. And Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is, is desperately sick and deceptive and that we can't even understand our own hearts. So we don't need a better heart. Ezekiel says we need a completely new heart, a new heart that will actually be able to obey God. They'll actually want to pursue his purposes and his desires. We don't see that happening unless the Holy Spirit works inside us first. The second reason is that God gets all the glory this way. Here we are back to this, this idea of God getting the credit. You know, there's this misconception out there about Christianity that, that Christianity is about obeying a bunch of rules. And, and you 
You know, you get really good at, at doing the Ten Commandments, and, and God looks down and he sees that, you know, oh, yeah, you, you've got more, more obedience than disobedience, so I'll, I'll let you into heaven when that time comes. And, and there's a million problems with that. Maybe literally a million problems with that. One is that it's impossible. We simply cannot obey these, these rules enough or, or perfectly or any of that. Two, look, we all know it's pretty easy to obey outwardly, to look like we're obeying the rules, but inwardly, <laughs> we're not doing that for the right motives. I, I mean, trust me, I'm a firstborn. I'm a good rule keeper. I understand how to, how to look like I'm doing the right thing on the outside, but have some maybe not so wholesome motives on the inside, right? And, and that's, a, that's a thing we all have to, to wrestle with, and it all comes back to the heart Jesus wants our hearts. He wants to change our hearts. He wants the way we think, the way we desire, the way we speak, the way we act. He wants all of that to be uh, characterized by kingdom of God values. He wants to rule over us. He wants to rule over every sphere of our lives, over our social lives, our work, our money, our family, our time. And he wants, wants that to happen because we love him. Not because we're doing you know, something that's convenient for us or something that will make us look better, but because we love him and we want what he wants. And that only happens when it starts inside out. It's amazing to see when it happens. When God transforms a life, when God transforms a person who, who wants nothing to do with him into someone who loves him, that is a miracle. It's incredible to see. And, and God can do it. He does it every day. Maybe he's going to do that with you. But either way, it's clear who deserves the credit. It's clear that God gets the credit for this. It's not about us. It's not about what we can do. It's about him. It's about his glory. And that's the best thing for our world. And as we close, I want to go back to the mustard seed again real quick. Jesus says at the, at the end of verse 32, he says that the mustard tree grows into a, a big tree where all these birds come and build nests. So why would he say that? What would be the point of mentioning the birds? Well, what he's saying is that the kingdom of God is a blessing to people from everywhere, to people from every nation, to all kinds of people. Just like a tree is a blessing to all those birds, all those different kinds of birds that want to come build nests. So in other words, what I'm trying to say is that the kingdom of God is the great hope of our world because Jesus is the hope of our world. And this is especially pertinent right now. Our world is on fire. Our, our world is, is struggling. Uh, and I don't even need to start listing off reasons why that is. But we just know it is, it is broken and it's been broken. It's just now it seems more clear to us. And we don't see a lot of good news about the kingdom of God right now. But, but maybe if we go back to our parable, we start to understand that's because it starts in, in hidden ways from overlooked sources. You know, I think about, I don't know if you follow the news with China, but, but they are, they're requiring uh, Christians who are on welfare to say that they worship the Communist Party, in order to receive their welfare. 
checks. So what do you do if you're a Christian? You're like, no, I worship Jesus. I mean, what do you do? You, you say, I, I guess I'm not going to get my check. That's what that's the kind of thing that you see happening in, in this world right now. But I'm telling you what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom is going to grow from situations like that. Where, where a poor Chinese person says, I will not worship the, China, the, the Communist Party. And I, I worship Jesus. And I'm going to forgo my check. God will grow his kingdom from something like that. Not necessarily from something uh, rich or powerful or famous. So look, the great hope of our world, the, the solution we need is, is not necessarily a, a, a cure for COVID or, or better education or better healthcare. Yeah, we need those things. I want a cure for COVID if there is such a thing. But what we need is a permanent solution, a perfect solution, and that is Jesus Christ. That is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And I, and I hope that as Christians, we would be willing to show the world that that's true. So how do we do that? Well, there's one more place in, in Matthew where Jesus mentions a mustard seed. Uh, in Matthew 17, 20, he says, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So some would take this verse and say, well, this verse is about having either, you know, how strong your faith is. Is it strong? Is it weak? But I, I disagree slightly with that because I think what Jesus is saying is that, do you have any faith at all? Do you have tiny faith? Do you have childlike faith? Do you have insignificant faith? Do you struggle in your faith, but you have a little bit of it? If you have any faith at all, there is no telling what God might do through you. Why? Because he's not saying that it's up to you to have strong faith and then go move a mountain. He's saying, trust God to move a mountain. That's what faith is. Faith is trusting God to do big things. Faith is not like some kind of supercharged energy drink that makes us able to, you know, lift a car or something like that. No, faith is trusting in a big God who can do anything. When the world sees a crisis, it it starts to think, oh no, everything's crumbling around us. You know, we've lost hope. Everything we've worked for is, is falling apart. And maybe some things are crumbling. But that's not our hope. Our hope is not in what the world can accomplish. Our hope is what we can't see but we know is coming. Our hope is resilient. Again, like a mustard seed. So last thing, almost done here. The cool thing about a mustard seed is that apparently it can grow in any kind of climate. It can grow in the desert, extremely uh, tolerant drought. And so it doesn't need a lot of water. And I think this, this really describes how faith in Jesus can be because see faith Living, living a life of following Jesus is resilient. You don't need to have a, a perfect set of circumstances around you to be able to follow Jesus. If, we're, if we know him and our hearts have been changed by him, then we can follow him anywhere. We can have faith in him no matter what is going on around us, no matter how hard things are. 
So especially in times like these, when we are more anxious and fearful and depressed and maybe angry than we've ever been, it seems like we are able to hold fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're able to hold fast to Jesus himself by faith. And then we can hope in a fierce and resilient way. And so maybe what that means is that at some point, the only people around who have any hope at all are people who are following Jesus. And I think that would be a perfect scenario for the kingdom of God to begin to grow. Let's pray.